Section 34 of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coderlo de la Clos. Section 34, letters 166 to 170. Letter the 166th. Monsieur Bertrand to Madame de Rosemonde. Madame, in consequence of the orders which you have done me the honor of sending me, I have had that of seeing Monsieur la Présidente, and have communicated your letter to him, informing him that, in pursuance of your wishes, I should do nothing without his advice. The Honorable Magistrate desires me to point out to you that the complaint which you intend to lodge against Monsieur le Chevalier d'Ancenay would be compromising to the memory of your nephew and that his honor would also inevitably be tarnished by the decree of the court, which would, of course, be a great misfortune. His opinion, therefore, is that you should carefully abstain from taking any proceedings, and that what you had better do, on the contrary, would be to endeavor to prevent the government from taking cognizance of this unfortunate adventure, which has already made too much noise. These observations seemed to me full of wisdom, and I resolve to wait for further orders from you. Allow me to beg you, madame, to be so good, when you dispatch them, as to add a word as to the state of your health, the sad effect upon which of so many troubles I greatly dread. I hope that you will pardon this liberty in consideration of my attachment and my zeal. I am with respect, madame, your, etc. Paris, 10th December, 17. Letter the hundred and sixty seventh Anonymous to Monsieur le Chevalier d'Ancenis. Monsieur, I have the honor to inform you that this morning, in the corridors of the court, there was talk amongst the king's officers of the affair which you had a few days ago with Monsieur le Vicomte de Valmont, and that it is to be feared that the government will take proceedings against you. I thought that this warning might be of use to you either to enable you to seek out what protection you have to ward off these vexatious results or in the event of your being unable to succeed in this to put you in a position to take measures for your personal safety if you will even permit me to give you a piece of advice i think you would do well to show yourself less often than you have done during the last few days although ordinarily affairs of this sort are treated with indulgence this respect nevertheless continues due to the law. This precaution becomes all the more necessary in that it has come to my ears that a certain Madame de Rosamond, who, I am told, is an aunt of Monsieur Le Valmont, wished to lodge a complaint against you, in which event the public officers could not refuse her requisition. It would not be amiss, perhaps, if you were able to communicate with this lady. Private reasons prevent me from signing this letter, but I am acting on the consideration that you will not render less justice to the sentiment which has dictated it, because you know not from whom it comes. I have the honor to be, etc. Paris, 10th December, 17. Letter the 168th, Madame de Volange to Madame de Rosemonde. 
most surprising and distressing rumors, my dear and revered friend, are being disseminated here in relation to Madame de Merteuil. I am, assuredly, very far from believing them, and I would wager well that it is nothing but a hideous calumny. But I am too well aware of the ease with which even the most improbable slanders acquire credit, and of the difficulty with which the impression they leave is effaced, not to be greatly alarmed at these, easy as I believe it to be to refute them. I should wish, above all, that they could be stopped in good time, before they have spread further. But I only knew yesterday, at a late hour, of these horrors which they were fast beginning to retail, and when I sent this morning to Madame de Merteuil, she had just left for the country, where she was to spend two days. They were not able to tell me to whom she had gone. Her second woman, whom I sent for to speak with me, told me that her mistress had left no orders, save that she was to be expected on Thursday next, and none of the servants whom she has left here know any more. For myself, I have no notion where she may be. I cannot recollect any person of her acquaintance who stays so late in the country. However that may be, you will be able, I hope, between now and her return, to furnish me with information which will be of use to her. For these odious stories are based on the circumstances of Monsieur de Valmont's death. You are likely to have been informed of them, if they are true, or, at any rate, it will be easy for you to obtain information, which I beg you to do. This is what is being published, or rather, whispered, at present, but it will certainly not be long before it spreads further. It is said that the quarrel between M. de Valmont and the Chevalier d'Anceny was the work of Madame de Merteuil, who deceived them both alike, that, as happens almost always, the two rivals began by fighting and only arrived at explanations afterwards. That these explanations brought about a sincere reconciliation, and that, in order to expose Madame de Merteuil to the Chevalier d'Anceny, and also to justify himself entirely, Monsieur de Valmont supported his revelations by a heap of letters, forming a regular correspondence which he had maintained with her, and in which she relates the most scandalous anecdotes about herself, and in the freest of styles. People further say that Danceny, in the first heat of his indignation, showed these letters to all who wished to see them, and that they are now making the round of Paris. Two of them in particular are quoted. Note, letters the 81st and 85th of this collection. One in which she relates the whole history of her life and principle, and which is said to attain the height of horror. The other, which entirely justifies Monsieur de Prévan, whose story you will remember, by the proof it contains that all he did was to yield to the most marked advances on the part of Madame de Merteuil, and that the rendezvous was arranged with her. I have, happily, the strongest reasons to believe that these imputations are as false as they are odious. First, we are both aware that M. de Valmont was assuredly not occupied with Madame de Merteuil, and I have every cause to believe that Danceny was equally without interest in her. Thus it seems to me clearly proved that she can have been neither the motive nor the author of the quarrel. I equally fail to understand what interest Madame de Merteuil can have had 
assuming her to have been in concert with Monsieur de Prévan, in making a scene which could only be disagreeable by its publicity, and which might become most dangerous to her, since she made, thereby, an irreconcilable enemy of a man who was master in part of a secret, and who, at that time, had numerous partisans. However, it is remarkable that since that adventure not a single voice has been raised in Prévan's favour, and that even from his own side there has been no protest made. These reflections would lead me to suspect the author of the rumours which are abroad to-day, and to look upon these slanders as the work of the hatred and vengeance of a man who, knowing himself to be ruined, hopes, by such a means, at least to establish a doubt, and perhaps cause a useful diversion. But, from whatever source these malicious reports arise, the most urgent thing is to destroy them. They would cease of themselves if it were to be shown, as is probable, that M. de Valmont and Danceny had no communication after their unfortunate affair, and that no papers passed between them. In my impatience to verify these facts, I sent this morning to M. Danceny. He is not in Paris either. His people told my valet de chambre that he had left in the night, owing to a warning he had received yesterday, and that the place of his sojourn was a secret. Apparently he is afraid of the results of his duel. "'Tis through you alone, then, my dear and revered friend, that I can be informed of the details which interest me, and which may become so necessary to Madame de Merteuil. I renew my prayer to you to acquaint me with them as soon as possible. P.S. My daughter's indisposition has had no consequences. She presents her respects to you. 11th of December, 1700 Letter the hundred and sixty-ninth, the Chevalier d'Anceny to Madame de Rosemonde. Madame, perhaps you will think the step I am taking today very unusual, but I entreat you to hear before you judge me, and to see neither boldness nor temerity where only respect and confidence is meant. I do not deny the injury I have done you, and I should not pardon myself for it all my life if I could think for a moment that it had been possible for me to avoid it. Be even persuaded, madame, that, if I am exempt from reproach, I am not equally so from regrets, and I may add, with equal sincerity, that those which I have caused you count for much in those which I feel. In order to believe in these sentiments, of which I venture to assure you, it will suffice for you to render justice to yourself, and to reflect that, without having the honour of being known to you, I have, however, that of knowing you. Meanwhile, whilst I groan over the fatality which has been the cause at once of your grief and my misfortunes, I have been led to fear that, absorbed in your vengeance, you would seek out means of gratifying it, even through the severity of the laws. Allow me, first, to point out to you on this subject, that here you are led astray by your sorrow, since my interest in this matter is essentially at one with that of Monsieur de Valmont and that he would himself be involved in the condemnation which you would have provoked against me. I believe, then, madame, that I can count on assistance, rather than on obstacles on your part, in any efforts I may be obliged to make, so that this unhappy event may remain buried in silence. But this resource of complicity, which befits the innocent and the guilty alike, is not sufficient for my delicacy, 
while deciding to remove you as a party to the suit, I demand you as my judge. The esteem of persons whom we respect is too precious that I should let yours be taken from me without defending it, and I believe I possess the means. In fact, if you will admit that vengeance is allowed, or say rather that it is one's bounden duty when one has been betrayed in one's love, in one's friendship, and above all in one's confidence, if you admit this, my wrongs against you will vanish from your eyes. Do not take my word for this, but read, if you have the courage, the correspondence which I place in your hands. Note. It is from this correspondence, from that handed over in the same way on the death of Madame de Tourvel, and from the letters alike confided to Madame de Rosemonde by Madame de Volanges, that the present collection has been formed, the originals of which remain in the hands of Madame de Rosemonde's hairs. The quantity of original letters which it contains seems to lend authenticity to those of which only copies exist. For the rest, I received these letters, just as I have the honour to forward them to you, from Monsieur de Valmont himself. I have added nothing to them, and I have only extracted two letters, which I have permitted myself to publish. One of these was necessary to the common vengeance of Monsieur de Valmont and of myself. To this we had both a right, and I had been expressly charged with it by him. I thought, moreover, that I was rendering a service to society in unmasking a woman so really dangerous as is Madame de Marteuil, who, as you will see, was the sole and veritable cause of all that passed between Monsieur de Valmont and myself. A feeling of justice also induced me to publish the second, for the justification of Monsieur de Prévent, whom I hardly know, but had in no way merited the rigorous treatment which he has experienced, nor the still more redoubtable judgment of the public, beneath which he has been groaning ever since, without any means of defence. You will only find copies, then, of these two letters, the originals of which I owe it to myself to keep. For all the rest, I do not believe I can remit in surer hands a deposit, the destruction of which is not, perhaps, to my interest, but which I should blush to abuse. I believe, madam, that in confiding these papers to you i am serving the persons interested in them as well as if i remitted them to themselves and i spare them the embarrassment of receiving them from me and of knowing me to be informed of adventures of which they doubtless desire all the world to remain ignorant i think i ought to warn you on this subject that the adjoined correspondence only forms part of a far more voluminous collection from which Monsieur de Valmont extracted it in my presence, and which you will find on the removal of the seals, under the title which I saw of Account Open Between the Marquise de Marteuil and the Vicomte de Valmont. You will adopt in this matter whatever course your prudence may suggest. I am with respect, Madame, etc. P.S. Certain information which I have received and the advice of my friends, have decided my absence from Paris for some time. But the place of my retreat, which is kept a secret for everybody, will not be one for you. If you honour me with a reply, I beg you to address it to the Commanderie de... by P... undercover to Monsieur le Commandeur de... It is from his house that I have the honour to write to you. Paris, 12th of December in seventeen letter the hundred and seventieth 
Madame de Volanges to Madame de Rosemonde. I move, my dear friend, from surprise to surprise, and from sorrow to sorrow. One must be a mother to form an idea of what I suffered yesterday all the morning, and, if my most cruel anxiety has been calmed since, there still remains to me a keen affliction, the end of which I cannot foresee. Yesterday, about ten o'clock in the morning, astonished that I had not yet seen my daughter, I sent my waiting-maid to know what could have occasioned her delay. She returned a moment later, highly alarmed, and alarmed me even more by informing me that my daughter was not in her apartment, and that, since the morning, her maid had not seen her there. Judge of my situation! I summoned all my people, and the porter in especial. All swore to me they knew nothing, and could give me no information upon this event. I went at once to my daughter's room. The disorder which obtained there assured me that she had apparently only gone that morning. But I found no further clue. I searched her presses, her writing-desk. I found everything in its place and all her wardrobe, with the exception of the dress in which she had left. She had not even taken the small stock of money which she possessed. As she had only heard yesterday of all that is said of Madame de Merteuil, as she is greatly attached to her, to such a degree, indeed, that she did not but weep all the evening, as I remembered also that she did not know Madame de Merteuil was in the country, my first idea was that she had wished to see her friend, and had been so imprudent as to go alone. But the time which elapsed before her return brought back all my uneasiness. Each moment augmented my trouble, and, burning as I was for information, I dared take no steps to obtain it, for fear of giving publicity to a proceeding which, afterwards, I might wish, perhaps, to be able to hide from everybody. Never in my life have I so suffered. Finally, it was not until past two o'clock, I received at the same time a letter from my daughter, and one from the superior of the convent of— my daughter's letter only said that she had feared lest I should oppose the vocation which she felt to become a nun, and that she had not dared speak to me of it. The rest only consisted of excuses for the course she had adopted without my permission, which I would assuredly not disapprove of, she added, if I knew her motives, into which she begged me, however, not to inquire. The superior wrote to me that— Seeing a young person arrive alone, she had at first refused to receive her, but that, having questioned her and learned who she was, she had thought to do me a service by giving my daughter shelter, in order not to expose her to further journeys, upon which she seemed resolved. The superior, while offering, as a matter of course, to restore my daughter to me if I were to demand her, urges me, obeying her condition, not to oppose a vocation which she declares to be firm. She told me also that she could not inform me earlier of this event, owing to the difficulty she had in making my daughter write to me, as her plan was to leave every one in ignorance of the place of her retreat. It is a cruel thing when our children argue so ill. I went immediately to the convent, and, after seeing the superior, asked to see my daughter. She only came reluctantly, and in a very tremulous state. I spoke to her before the nuns, and I spoke to her alone, 
all that I could extract from her, amid many tears, was that she could only be happy in the convent. I decided to let her remain there, but without entering the rank of postulants as she desired. I fear that the death of Madame de Tourvel and Monsieur de Valmont have unduly affected her young head. Whatever my respect for a religious vocation, I could not see my daughter embrace that career without sorrow, and even without alarm. Methinks we have already duties enough to perform without creating fresh ones, and, again, it is hardly at her age that we best know what befits us. What enhances my embarrassment is the nearness of Monsieur de Gercourt's return. Must this most advantageous marriage be broken off? How, then, are we to make our children's happiness, if it is not sufficient to desire it and devote all our cares to it? You will greatly oblige me by telling me what you would do in my place. I cannot fix upon any course. I find nothing more terrible than to have to decide another's lot, and I am equally afraid of bringing to this occasion the severity of a judge or the weakness of a mother. I reproach myself unceasingly for augmenting your sorrows by speaking to you of my own, but I know your heart, the consolation which you could give to others would become to you the greatest you could yourself receive. Adieu, my dear and revered friend. I await your two replies with much impatience. Paris, December 13th, 1700 End of section 34